0: warming up cold weather's coming in there's gonna be uh, a bit of a cold spell the next couple of days and so I know that everyone here is probably just saying what a great time to be inside and pray amen Amen. well (laughs) I'm saying that a little tongue-in-cheek maybe we don't always consider that the first thing that we want to just spend some time in prayer and what do you think about when we talk about prayer I mean there's lots of different ideas about what prayer is and how to pray and and we know that the Lord wants us to pray but how much of us how many of us really have a prayer life in which we're making some good connections because you know prayer is much more than what most people think it's not just bring your needs to God and hope and pray that he answers. I'm hoping and praying that he gives what I'm looking for. But there's more to it than that. Of course, that's part of it. Jesus said, ask and receive that your joy may be full. God delivers give us what we pray for. But sometimes what happens when we don't get what we pray for? And then we start to ask questions and say, what's going on here? Well, we have to remember that prayer is more than just asking what we get for. And in this time, in this season, uh, the things on the horizon, we've said this before and you can see it coming, things are difficult out there. It's not easy. And there's going to be some challenges. And there's going to be some questions. Lord, what's going on? And the only way to get through, as a Christian, as counterculture, as a different being from the normal person of the world who's following that track, the only way to succeed as a Christian, to thrive as a Christian, to grow, is to be in a relationship with God that is filled with prayer. And I'm talking about times of being alone with Him, seeking His face, hearing His voice, and just delighting in Him, worshiping. We come together and worship on Sundays. Some of us do anyway. And uh, we, we, we have a great connecting bond with ourselves and with the Lord in a worship service. But there is an even deeper bond that you can have with Jesus through a personal time. We call it a quiet time, but uh, there is the problem of relationship. Not The the promise of relief. It's a problem and it's a promise because a lot of believers that go to church and all the churches in Oak Ridge and all the churches in Knoxville, Tennessee and America and the world will come and will worship, but what's going to get us through is our individual commitment to have a relationship with God and prayer is the means of that relationship. So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer today what's commonly called the Lord's Prayer, and we recited it, and I'm going to call it better a model prayer. I'm not the first one to suggest that we call it the model prayer, but I really believe that it's given to us as a model. But before we go into that, we want to look at some preliminary things in the passage that we find the prayer. And again, I'm, I, you know, I started this talking about the importance of developing a life of prayer, but almost everyone prays. I mean, Christians aren't the only ones that pray. A lot of different religions make a show of prayer. When I was in Tibet, I saw people bowing before the temple and spinning prayer wheels and muttering and chanting. They're praying, and, and you know, Jesus even talked about the hypocrites. When the hypocrites pray, most families will say grace. Well, not nowadays, but, you know, there will be families that don't go to church, but they'll say grace before their meals. There's, we teach children, say your prayers before you go to bed, and, even atheists, you've heard the saying, there's no atheists in foxholes. They, they talk about how that time comes, when the danger comes, they'll cry out to the Lord when it comes time. And you've probably seen programs or movies, somebody's held at gunpoint and the bad guy says, say, say your prayers. Or at least I heard Yosemite Sam say that to Bugs Bunny. <laughs> so even Bugs Bunny prays. Okay, so... But prayer is much more than something that you say. It is the breathing of the heart to God, and it's the lifeline of the Spirit and the means of fellowshipping with the living God. Doesn't that sound better than just saying, say your prayers and and maybe he'll... What if prayer is much more than just something we say, but it is the lifeline? It's the breathing of the heart to God, the lifeline of the Spirit and the means of fellowshipping with the living God. If you just take that idea, that can strengthen you. If you have a lifeline between yourself and the Lord of heaven and earth, our Father in heaven, that is a strengthening, relationship-building thing that you're not just a person who's going through the motions and saying the words but you are in relationship with a living God and he's showing himself to you and he's doing something in your life and I you know I I always had this idea I'd love to survey and find out from leaders and from normal Christians how much time do you spend with the Lord what's your prayer life look like and I never have really gone forward but I'll say it rhetorically what's your prayer life look like do you want to become stronger as a believer yeah, but prayer is difficult, and I don't have time, and I've got other things. Well, that's what we're talking about as we go into this, as we're going to look at the model prayer. But before we begin, uh, we start with the, pre- the preamble, I guess. In Matthew 6, 6, um, Jesus begins by talking about going into your room. It says, when you pray, it doesn't say if you pray, but when you pray, go into your room And when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So what we do in secret speaks a lot about who we are as Christians, as people of faith, who we are as spiritual beings. And this whole idea of going into the place, the secret, and praying in secret, your Father sees you in secret, It. It shouts relationship. It's not just uh, ask for what you need and you'll get it. Although, again, Jesus talks about ask and you will receive. And even here it says you'll be rewarded. So there is that. But the whole idea is go into your room, shut the door, get alone with me, and do something in secret. And the heart of the Christian faith is the Christian faith that's in your heart And your heart reveals something. It's what you do in secret is really where you are spiritually as a believer. And uh, it's not wrong to be uh, involved in whatever we need to be involved with. And there are diversions and there's entertainment. That's fine. And sometimes you're just tired. You need to take a nap. But do you go to the secret place and get fueled up? This is what he's talking about. When you go... Go into your room and do something in secret. And the secret place is uh, in the Greek. You know, well, in King James Version, we were talking about King James Version this morning. We were saying, what, what Lord's Prayer Version are we going to recite? Because there's so many different ones and it can trip you up. Is it debts or trespasses or you know, forever and ever or just forever? We have so many different translations, Right. But the old King James Version says, go into your closet. So the idea is you're getting into this this confined place away from others. But the interesting thing, whether you say go into your room or go into your closet, the Greek word can actually imply a storeroom, a storeroom. And so storehouse would be another way to say it. So when you're going into your room, you're actually going into the storehouse. You're going into the storehouse where there are goods laid up for you. There is treasure laid up for you. There is this power of God laid up for you. The relationship, the love of God, the secret of friendship with God. Going to the storehouse. You're feeling empty as a spiritual person. You're feeling empty as a Christian. Go to the storehouse. And probably one of the greatest tricks of the enemy is that when we are feeling cold, when we are feeling empty, the last thing we want to do is pray and go to the storehouse. But that's where the goods are. And that's where if we can just push through that hard thing and go into our room, go into the storehouse, that's where we can get the answers that we've been afraid to even put ourselves into that place Uh, I said that wrong, but the idea is you don't feel like praying sometimes. But that's where you need to go. That's where you're going to get the revival. That's where you're going to get the answer. And you say, well, you know, I go in there sometimes and I don't get the answer. Well, here's part of the problem is you need to shut the door. A lot of us will go into the place. We'll say, yeah, I'm going to try to have some prayer, but we don't shut the door. And what does that mean? Well, there are different thoughts that are coming to our minds. There's the responsibilities that are calling us. There's the you know, the problem of I'm so distracted with everything right now, it's hard to be still, but we have to shut the door. When different thoughts come into your mind while you're trying to pray, you have to shut the door. You have to resist those things and say, I'm not here to think about that right now. And you know, it happens to us all the time. We, you know, we'll start to pray. You can start with the Lord's prayer, our Father in heaven. But before you know it, you're thinking about what am I going to cook for dinner or what am I going to do about this meeting tomorrow? And, and you start going off into that. And That's normal. That's natural. But shut the door. Make a decision. First, you have to make a decision to go into the room. Then you have to consciously shut the door. Say, I'm here to focus on the Lord now. And then when those thoughts come, you don't condemn yourself and you don't beat yourself up. You just say, oh, the door must have come open again. I'll just shut it again. And, And the devil would like nothing more than for you to feel condemned and say, I can't do this and it's a waste of my time to even try. I'm going to get, no. You just understand the Lord has grace and patience and we shut the door on him again. And when you do that, that's when the Lord will reward you. He rewards you openly, it says, when some people say, well, I pray and I don't get what I pray for. But the interesting thing in this uh, passage is, is that that word openly was later inserted. It wasn't in the original manuscripts. The Lord certainly will reward you openly. He will bring answers to prayer. But it's not necessarily going to be openly all the time. That word was inserted in later Greek manuscripts the Lord will reward you. If you stop it there, you say, well, now that means he's going to reward me. I could be rewarded openly, or it could be something that's being laid up for the age to come, or it could be something that he's building into my life spiritually in my relationship with God. But prayer is a divine investment. He will reward you. And sometimes I think We may be getting more reward when we don't see things happen openly, but he counts us faithful because we've still gone into the room, we've still shut the door, and he's pleased by that act of faith. And you are going to receive the reward for your acts of faith, for your stepping out and, and trusting the Lord and seeking him. And it's going to come openly at some point or it's going to come in the age to come. Or he's doing something that's building you up and strengthening you through your acts of faith in which you're going to find that you have more power in general as a believer. Sometimes I go into the secret place and I pray, Lord, help me. I'm I'm not doing well right now. I need to be uplifted. And sometimes like that, boom, he just comes into that prayer session and I'm like oh praise God thank you and it's wonderful and why didn't I come to prayer earlier you know and then there's other times the same feelings the same situation and I'll go in and I'll pray and I'll say I need help Lord I need strength and but I don't sense it it's not there at that moment and I, and I've learned I'm not going to get despondent I'm not going to get down about it I'm just going to trust that the reward is there and I get up and I guess I just need to push through for a little bit longer. But nine times out of ten, if not ten times out of ten, somewhere a half hour later or, or an hour later or something, hey, I'm, I'm doing better. I don't, you know, it's not bothering me like it did before. Sometimes it just creeps up. The blessing creeps up on you. The reward creeps up on you. Other times you need to go forward in faith and understand that that reward is not creeping up, but it's building up. And it's yours. It's there if you can believe and you can trust, and that'll get you through even when you're not feeling. You'll know that, hey, I know this world is a battlefield. I know that God is working, and I know that I've been praying, and I know that he hasn't forsaken me, and that I will see something happen, and he will come through. So that is all to talk about uh, the relationship aspect, and the point of this is that there There is a relationship, there is a secret place, that is the place where you get built up with your communion with God, fellowshipping with Him. And then in verse uh, 7 and 8, Jesus says that when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. So this is a powerful statement here, too, that God wants our heart. He doesn't just want our words. And we all can do this. We all have done this. We've made vain repetitions. Sometimes we just turn on our prayer mode and we start saying things like, I just pray, I just pray, and Lord, 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 and and, oh God, oh God. And we're saying things. And He's not mad. He's not angry, but we need to check our hearts say am I speaking from my heart or did I just turn on my, my Prayer brain and I'm just speaking what I know prayer should sound like I Think it's good to get still before the Lord To know that he is God and to say I'm gonna start to relate with him now from the heart I don't want to just come in with with uh, words and sometimes uh, you know, sometimes you want to sit down with them and you've got something on your heart and you just need to let it out. That's, that's great. Other times uh, you just say, oh, you know, this is how I pray so I'm going to pray. No. Be quiet for a minute and, and start to think on this and that's what we're going to look at. The first petition is a means of doing this that we're going to consider with our Father who art in heaven, who art in heaven, who is in heaven. Um, but vain repetitions. Now, as we go into the Lord's Prayer, it makes me think of uh, our time with the Chinese churches. In, in some churches in America, we'll do like we did today. We recited the Lord's Prayer. But we don't do that every week. Some churches, they do that every week here. And in China, every church service, I don't care where it was, who it was, what brand, what flavor of Christian faith it was, every Chinese church service is not over until you recite the Lord's Prayer. And so, when, and so you, you don't have to think about, well, are we done yet? Are we done yet? No, it's not until we recite this and then it's goodbye. We're done. And uh, that's okay. And the, I believe the Lord is, is pleased when we come to him uh, because we believe that's what he wants. But you want to be careful that it doesn't become a vain repetition. So we get into the Lord's Prayer, and he says, Therefore, in this manner, pray. And uh, because this is found in Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer, or the model prayers, we'll call it, Matthew 6, 9-13, it's also found in Luke 11, verses 2-4, to 4, and in each place there is some variation on the wordings in it, and also with the fact that it is not placed anywhere else in the epistles it's not encouraged or promoted as this is how you pray when you pray the point being that this was never meant to be a prescription or formula for prayer it doesn't I mean it's not wrong to recite it and you can recite it meaningfully and have your heart in it and you can be considering it but Jesus said in this manner therefore pray. It wasn't a prescription that you're supposed to recite it every time you pray. But in this manner, therefore pray. In other words, it's a model for how you want to be focused on the Lord. And I would suggest it's not just a model for prayer, what we're looking at. It's a model for our Christian living. In fact, our Christian living should be prayerful, uh, in one place in, in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says to pray without ceasing. Well, how do you do that? You've got to go about your, your activities in life. Where you can't just shut your door and go into your closet, right? But the, your lifestyle should be a, a breathing out of a heart for God and, and living in a manner of saying, I'm a child of my Father who is in heaven, and I'm wanting to hallow His name. So it's a model A manner of prayer, but it's a manner for Christian living. And I always thought it would be neat if my epitaph, when I go, simply said, amen. (laughs) It means my life was a prayer. Amen. It's over. Um, But as we look at this, we start off all of that, that devotion, all of that living for in terms of addressing The father. And nowadays, a father, the idea of a father is often kind of looked down upon a little bit. What do I mean by that? I mean like if you you look at how fathers are being taken off the high place in our media, in our entertainment, look at your average sitcom and how many sitcoms the father is portrayed as a buffoon. Right, and the kids are always portrayed as smarter than the father, and the mother is somewhere in between, kind of. But it's it's just become this this idea that the father is not the greatest thing, and yet we're told to address the father first in this model prayer, and in Ephesians we are told that uh, Ephesians six two to three that we are told to honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. So you consider that God has in his word that we should honor our parents and honor the father, and yet we have these things, making the father a buffoon, we have kids that don't think in anything to smart off to their parents, or you know, to show no respect, to use their first names, and, and uh, you know, this is kind of the way it goes, and, you know, you got kids suing their parents now, it's, it's crazy, it's a cultural decline, and it's harmful, and it's harmful to the culture, but it's also harmful to the kids, because this is the promise that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. And uh, I, I like uh, what Andrew Womack said about the Japanese. A lot of people think the Japanese live longer because they have a healthier diet. And that might have something to do with it. But part of the Japanese culture is they honor and respect their elders and their parents. And so that might have something to do with their longer lifespans as well. But our culture does not promote honoring the father. And yet it, it hurts The children when they don't because this is the promise you'll live longer you'll have a better life in the law in Exodus 21 verse 17 the law was this he who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Now I'm glad we don't do this now but that was the point it was so important that in the law you didn't honor your father or your mother you're put to death. And we don't do that now, but at the same, same rate, if we don't warn, if we don't raise up children to respect and honor their parents, then we're doing a disservice because it will go well when they do. And that's something, you know, God has always had our better in interest. He's always wanted better for us. That's why we have the law. He wanted us to not go off the rails. He wanted us to live and not die. And so uh, Jesus would instruct us, when you pray in this manner, of pray, you first address Father. And so the first thing when we come to the Lord and in our relationship with Him is to consider our position. We are coming to Him as a child to a father. We're not coming to Him as the heathen do to idols, as the, uh, as com- the Muslims do to a, a severe master. An impersonal God who you better submit to. But we come in a position of relationship. It's a relationship. We come as children. And this is something that uh, was new when Jesus was teaching this. This wasn't quite the way it was for Israel at that time. In the Old Covenant... And you can see lots of Old Testament scriptures that refer to the Lord as Father, but it was always, when it was referred to as Father, it was for a national purpose. It was to address Israel as a national entity and I will be your father, but they were never instructed to address the Lord personally as Father. So here, you don't have to go through ceremony, you don't have to go through tradition, through sacrifices, through law, you just come, Jesus himself has stepped out of the way and said, you're not going to ask me, you can go yourself to the Father. He said in John 16, verse 23, and in that day you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Position, you're a child, you're going to him, he who believes in Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, We've got direct access. And when you think about that, it it is a relationship-enhancing thing that we go in, I'm not going in to be religious. I'm going in to sit with my father. And and you would think, when you go to the Catholic Church, why they would want to pray to saints. Why they would want to pray to beads or whatever they do. And I don't mean to be nasty about that, but the point is, I want to make the point that we have something to thrill about. We don't have to go to something else. We go directly to God. For God himself, the Father himself loves you, Jesus said in John 16, 27. The Father himself loves you. Well, we go through Jesus. Jesus made the way. He made the way. And he said, in that day you ask the Father. So it's not wrong to pray to Jesus. And it's not wrong to to pray with different terms, Lord, Lord, we ask you, God, we ask you, we can pray to Jesus, you can pray the Holy Spirit, but primarily what we're learning in this passage is that we primarily address God as Father. Why? Because he wants us to remember our position, we are children of God, and uh, he loves us. And It's not just that he is our Father, but he's our Father in heaven. So we've been brought into a heavenly family. In Romans 8.15, it says that we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And you probably know that Abba, Father is a very familiar term for a child to call uh, uh, their father Abba. It's kind of like Daddy, although I don't really go as far as to think we should be addressing The Lord as daddy. Some people do that. And it just, for some reason, I don't think that's what Abba Father meant, but Abba Father does mean a very close connection, a familiar relationship with with Father, with the Lord. And it's not a spirit of bondage again to fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption. And it this is something that's interesting, too, because we aren't adopted into the family. It says we've received the spirit of adoption. When you've believed in Christ, it says that he gave you the right to become children of God. And you are of God, and you have become a new creation. You haven't just been adopted. You have become his With his DNA, the divine nature of the Almighty in you. Because of the work of Jesus and by faith you have been born again. Something has been born again, a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things are new. You are a different specimen in faith in Christ. And that is an amazing thing that we've talked about here. And we need to keep reminding ourselves, I'm not just me. I'm not just the same old person. I was begotten of God. I was born again. So why does it say a spirit of adoption here? Well, he's just contrasting the spirit of bondage to a spirit of adoption. We're no longer in a spirit of bondage to fear like we had to offer the sacrifices, like we had to be perfect and that everything had to be just in order, had to have all our ducks in a row to approach the... Fo- no, you contrast that spirit with the spirit of adoption. In a spirit of adoption, the lesson here is to just understand that God's love for us was very intentional and aggressive. Because when someone's adopted, you have to be very intentional and aggressive. And sometimes you have to plow down the obstacles. We saw a lot of that in China with people adopting orphans from China and uh, wherever else they have to adopt uh, from different countries. And I don't know how it is here, but there's sometimes there's a lot of trouble. And you have to be very intent and aggressive to make this thing work and to go and that is an amazing love. It's amazing for someone to adopt a child, amazing love. And that's the figure he wants us to see here. But we go even further. It's not just that we're adopted. But he wants us to see that we're not in a spirit of fear. We approach the Lord as Father. And we have to understand that when we're approaching the Lord as Father, it's a loving Father. It's a Father that has gone all out to pull us out of a spiritual orphanage of darkness and bring us into a heavenly mansion of riches and glory and eternal life in Christ. Isn't that good? You could be taken out of that dark and brought into that light. And we actually know some adopted children who gave their parents a hard time and it doesn't always work out. And, uh, and it's sad when that happens because they, they don't remember what they were taken out of. They don't understand all that went, went for their trouble to get them out of such a terrible place. And they're brought into this great place now and uh, this is a broken world there are spiritual forces working in opposition to us and and uh, it's just a tragedy when that happens but that doesn't always happen and people can really enjoy the fact that they have been rescued they've been brought into a intense loving relationship with someone who has gone above and beyond to get them and so that's what we're seeing here it's not a spirit of fear but it's a spirit of adoption but remember that we're not just adopted into the family of God. We've been begotten into the family of God. We are of God, children of God. How great is the love of the Father that, he, that we should be called children of God, it says in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. So, now, he is also uh, our Father in heaven. And this is the other thing. We talked about how the father sometimes is portrayed as a buffoon. But some people have a hard time having a relationship with God because they didn't have such a heavenly father on earth. And they have to get past this idea of my father was terrible and cruel to me or my father abandoned me or my father neglected me. There are people, sadly, that have fathers that were not heavenly. And so when you come to the Lord with our father He wants us to say in heaven to understand that this is a father who's not like an earthly father. This is not a father who's like the father of the Pharisees. Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. In one place it says that there are children of wrath, of disobedience out there. There's the seed of the serpent. But that's not us. In Christ we have become children of the Lord Most High who loves us, who's a heavenly Father. Heaven, we all understand heaven is a place of perfection. Heaven is a place of peace, comfort, goodness. Anything that's good we call heaven. We're we're saying this is the highest, the extremist, the best. Heaven is a place of love and it's our Father who is in heaven. He's not a hellish Father. He's a heavenly Father. And that's how we go into our relationship with Him, knowing that we are loved, not with an earthly love, and not with a broken love, not with a corrupted love, or a, a love that's not even there the way it should be, but with a heavenly love, perfect, complete, abundant, and full, and able to meet us with every resource we need, because heaven is not depleted of the resources we need to thrive and grow in relationship with God and to make it through to the end here, hallelujah. That's a good motive for prayer. I'm not going to uh, an empty idol or I'm just in my room, I'm going to the storehouse where it's loaded and if the storehouse is connected to heaven, which is the ultimate storehouse and it's the eternal storehouse, we can be reminded as we go to prayer, this is just uh, this is just plugging back into where I'm from. I'm from the place of heaven, being born from above in Christ. And I'm connected where all the abundant love and all the resources I need are. Sometimes when I get into prayer and I have needs, I can just be forgetting those things, realizing I'm in the place now where I where I fit, where I belong, in heaven because I'm being loved by my heavenly Father and I'm not a child of wrath and I'm not an abandoned child and I'm not a forgotten child and none of you are either from the least to the greatest Christian. In Christ we have all the favor, we are accepted and beloved, highly favored and your picture is on God's mantle. That's how you got to go to him. That's how prayer is going to become alive and happy and and awesome When you believe that, but we go in and we might be like that whimpering dog that doesn't want to be petted because he thinks that he's going to get hit. Or you have that thought comes in while you're praying, oh, I can't believe I thought that. Well, God must be angry. No, you've got to shut the door. You've got to say, he's a heavenly father. He's got heavenly patience with me. He's got heavenly grace with me. And he, from heaven, he sent Jesus for me. I'm, I'm in relationship. I'm good with him. And... I remember reading the autobiography of David Brainerd, missionary to the early American Native Americans. And uh, this man was an intense man of God. And he said in one part in his autobiography, he wrote the word, oh, one hour with the Lord is infinitely greater than all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. Mic drop, boom. How many of us can say that? How many of you can say, oh, one hour alone with the Lord is infinitely greater than all the pleasures and delights of this lower world? I've I've had times like that with the Lord, but it doesn't always happen. But the idea is, do you believe that that's possible? If we're talking about a heaven, a storehouse and a heavenly Father who loves us, and we're in position, and we're in relationship with Him, and that is the lifeline of our relationship with Him, obedience to the Word and communion with God, which happens in quiet times of prayer. You can come into a place of heavenly joy and delight that exceeds anything that this world has to offer, but He doesn't just throw it on you when you give Him five minutes and say, hurry up, because Jeopardy's on in a few minutes, and i gotta, I got to see how I do you know, it it takes some commitment. You have to go into your room and shut the door. And it might take some time. You know, I don't like to say, time yourself in prayer. But actually, that helps me sometimes. If I say, I'm just going to make sure I'm, I'm praying for a half hour here at least, or sometimes it's an hour or whatever. And if you don't have any quiet times with the Lord, I'll say, start. Give yourself five minutes. Put the timer on. Just say, I'm not... I'm committed to five minutes here. Make it ten minutes a few weeks later. And then make it a little bit more. It will change your life if you start to give committed time to the Lord. And you'll love the Lord more and you'll see greater things happening because you're in relationship with Him. Is that me clicking? I need to stand real still, I guess. So... And now I lost track of where I was. Okay. But uh, are we still on? Okay, good. We got the thumbs up. We're good. So, it, uh, yeah, I'm talking about the joy. Some, prayer doesn't have to be this, this harsh duty kind of thing, but it does require commitment. And again, not every time is going to be a David Brainerd experience. Man, if that was the case, we'd never leave, right? Right? God wants us out there, and God knows we have other things that we have to be involved with. But I do believe that God wants to pour his love on us at times, and we miss it because we don't give him time. So that's my challenge as you go out, is, you know, how much time do you give him? Give him a little bit more, and maybe you're starting fresh. Give him five minutes. It's hard to sit for five minutes to be still and know that I am God. But you got a start here with the model prayer. He gives you some things to pray along these lines. You can say it. You can recite it. Or you can be quiet and pray along the lines and and just meditate on the fact that I'm sitting in the presence of my father. He's a father from heaven. He loves me. And he's got all the resources for me. If that's all your prayer is right there, what do I say? Just delight in the fact that I'm here with my father right now. And be still and know that he is God. And the... Um, You know, we talked about the father in heaven, but it's also our father. He says to address him as our father, and that's a possessive pronoun, our, our. Um, If you can say our father, then it stands that you can say my father. So you're not just going to an impersonal God, but he's mine. I'm afraid to move because I'm clicking, but... uh, not me? Okay, good. So, my father. And Paul said in another place, my gospel. Talks about ownership. We have ownership. Or, you know, we don't own God, but we have, we have ownership of the gospel. We have a personal stake. We have a personal place in the family of God. That's what we're talking about. Can you say, my God? not talking about it as like a surprise statement, my God, but my God, he's mine, and I am his. That's the personal relationship aspect. That's what we're looking at when we address him. And because Jesus told us to say our God, it also causes us to remember that we're not alone and that we're connected to each other and that we're part of a greater family. In Ephesians 3, 14 and 15, Paul said, for this cause I bow my head knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. If we're united to the family of God and we all come together, our Father, think of the power and the uniting, that, the strength that we could have as the church against the wiles of the enemy and against all that the enemy is bringing on. If the church could unite and say, we are all part of the same heavenly family and we have the same Heavenly Father, who has the same abundant resources and the same power and is greater than all that is in the world. Think of how that would frighten the enemy. And also think about, too, when you say, say Our Father, how you treat others in the family of God. You know, some people don't treat others so well. they got to remember, hey, th- this person is as beloved of the Lord as I am. And, you know, brothers or sisters, maybe we're a little different, but we ought to treat each other as beloved of God. It's our Father, and I'm sure the Father would rather us be treating each other properly rather than backbiting and, and trying to get a, a, a run on someone and things like that. So all of that, we have such a position, we have such a privilege, we have a, a possess possessive pronoun, he's ours. The final petition here is to hallowed be your name. And this is where prayer can take off, where you start to come in. And you're saying, this isn't about me right now. This is about you. Hallowed be your name. This states the mission. This is what I'm all about. This is what my prayers are for. You know, God wants to answer your prayers, meet your needs. But primarily, we need to put our needs under hallowed be your name. In other words, it's not my will. It's your will I want. That's what it goes into next. But hallowed means that he is sanctified, set apart. means none can compare to this name. And hallowed be your name. This is the the desire, the mission, that God's name is hallowed on this earth, that God's name is revered, honored, respected, the Father being lifted up to the place that he deserves. Hallowed be your name. There is none like you, Lord. And when you go into prayer, if you can go into prayer and start to consider your position and you're saying there's none like you, the spirit of worship can come up and you can begin to flow in the spirit of worship and love and just that's when prayer can become a, one of those oh. Because you're doing what you were created for, to worship God and hallowing him saying you are it, nothing compares to you. And God is. And we, we can get sidetracked and think that other things are more important I brought up a passage from 1 Samuel chapter 2 where the Philistines captured the Ark of God and they put it in the temple of Dagon. That Dagon temple they put it in. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist that. But that was a temple of their idol, their national god. And when when uh, people captured uh, something or when they had victories, they would bring the the things they captured and brought them into the temples of their gods to show that uh, their gods were superior. So the Philistines captured the Ark of God and put it into the temple of Dagon. And the next day they came in and saw the idol Dagon toppled over and fallen down. So Dagon couldn't stand before the Ark of the Lord. They picked up the Dagon, put him back, and the next day they came in. There he was toppled again with his head and his Hands cut off, broken. There's none that can compare to the Lord and hallowed. He will be hallowed wherever he goes. If he goes into a temple, that thing must bow and topple before him. If he goes with us into the world, the spirits of the enemy should flee and cringe because we go and we can break their strongholds. We can break their power when we hallow his name not just in our prayers, but in our lives. We're about hallowing the Father, and this is our mission. This is our purpose here, and this is the place where we are in relationship with him, and we, we are, are sensitive to his presence, and we're sensitive to what he's doing, and we see him uh, being more involved when we have that mindset, that sanctified, set apart, you are greater. It's not about me. It's about you. And yet, even though it's about you, you care for me, and you've got my back. So that's the blessing of being a child of God. That's the blessing of prayer. And it's not just a model for prayer. It's in this manner live. Can we go out and live knowing that we are loved and we have heavenly resources and a divine mission to hallow his name and what that means for us when we're alone with him? Amen.